Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, April 15th, special edition number two of the Basement Academy. Special edition number one was yesterday. Had intended to take this week off. The week's unfolding a little differently, and I thought uh, here midweek uh, to, to be back in connection, uh, really to think with you and invite you in, in strong terms, to urge you uh, to join us uh, for our Sunday evening webinar. I believe the more people that engage in that uh, conversation, I think the stronger we'll be as a congregation. So we'll remind you again on, on Sunday morning, but do want to extend that uh, invitation again. Uh, let me start with our psalm, and then I'm going to work back to uh, kind of extending yesterday's reflection. And so Psalm 75 for the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy. This is a psalm of Asaph. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. Men tell of your wonderful deeds. You say, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge uprightly. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak with outstretched neck. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man. But it is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob. I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Amen. Psalm 75, in the context of conflict with the wicked, with probably surrounding nations, those who boast, um, who lift up their outstretched neck, and there's that picture of kind of, you know, speaking with outstretched neck. The, the horn symbolizes strength. Uh, sometimes it can, it can be the horn that is blasted. Sometimes it could be thinking of a helmet with horns that symbolizes the chieftain who's in charge here. So horn symbolizes strength. It also symbolizes uh, authority. But make no mistake, no one from the east or the west or from the desert, no human exalts. Uh, it is God who exalts. It's God who sets aside. It's God who, who lifts up. I love this line, when the earth and all its people quake, it is I, that is God, who hold its pillars firm. And it seems as if we're living in a quaking time, but this is just another time in human history. And so yesterday I began to think a little bit about this idea of anti-Semitism, this long history that stretches clearly back into biblical history, stretching back to the time of Abraham and uh, the people of God, Israelites, Moses, opposed by Pharaoh, and, and so many others. 
And so the experience of anti-Semitism, particularly uh, uh, hatred of and, and antagonism towards uh, God's people, uh, the, the Jewish uh, community, I think by extension also the church comes in for some of that, but I want to you know, honor uh, the, this reality. I read that, um, I don't know if it's a poem or a saying uh, by Martin Niemöller, who was a Lutheran pastor in the time of uh, Nazi Germany during World War II. He was in prison, but was liberated um, where his uh, compatriot pastor, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was not. He, he died uh, just days before the camp where he was um, in prison was liberated. When the Nazis came for the communists, I remained silent because I was not a communist. When they locked up the social democrats, I remained silent because I was not a social democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I remained silent because I wasn't a Jew. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak out. And so very convicting words about this call uh, as a Christian, as a pastor, wrestling with this notion of the responsibility of lifting one's voice on behalf of others, speaking out on behalf of others who are oppressed or in some other way opposed. In this case, it was by Nazi uh, Germany. Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for all the rights for the rights of all who are destitute. Sorry, that. So speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so a cornerstone of biblical justice as we find it, um, particularly in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the prophets uh, here in the Proverbs, and then I think carried over into the new covenant with Jesus, speaking up on behalf of the quartet of the vulnerable, widows, orphans, the foreigner among you, the alien and the poor. These who have no advocate, these who have no standing in society, widows, orphans, uh, the stranger, the sojourner, the alien, the, the foreigner, uh, to your land, and then certainly the poor. And so we've spoken often about this. Uh, I think it's Tim Keller is where I first heard that phrase. He might have been citing somebody else. The quartet of the vulnerable. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so I have um, certainly understood this in the context of the child in the womb who cannot speak and the responsibility to speak up on on behalf of this child. And so my stance against abortion for life. But this can be extended into other contexts. And so there will be some conversation Sunday night uh, at 7 p.m. Again, you can register at greenwichpres.org. We'll send you the Zoom link. You can participate in this uh, webinar with Alan Ronk and Sue Stolov and myself. It, it's this idea of the call to speak up for others, <clears throat> and frankly, the challenge that it is to do that. So Martin Niemöller, that, that, that saying, that poem, 
captures that I remained silent. I did not speak up. And then when it was, when they came for me, there was nobody left to, to speak up or speak out. And so the call of God's people to stand for the oppressed, the minority, uh, the downtrodden, the outcast, to speak up on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. But often we don't do that very well. I don't think I do it as well, certainly, as I ought to and I, and I could. The question is, on what basis, uh, what ground do we stand on when we speak? Are we speaking simply on behalf of those whom we identify with in our particular moral tribe? See, this is the challenge. I'll speak up for my tribe. Will I speak up for someone outside my tribe? So, as a Christian, will I speak up for a Jew? As a Christian, will I speak up for a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or an atheist who is finding themselves oppressed? Um, as a white person, will I speak up on behalf of a brown-skinned person? Um, uh, as a, a person who votes this way, will I speak up on behalf of a person who votes that way? Will I, as a person who cheers for this team, will I speak up on behalf of someone who may be wearing the other team's colors but finds themselves in a fix. Will I intervene? Will I, will I step up and, and try to, to bring relief and, and remedy and, and help on behalf of others? And, and so frankly, it is a challenge. Uh, the tendency is for humans, of which we are, right? The tendency is for humans to look out for their own, whether it's my blood family, whether it's a spiritual family, whether it is kind of a spiritual tribe, you know, my moral tribe. I vote a certain way. I think a certain way around social, cultural issues. I cheer a certain way and the like. And so we'll, we'll risk speaking up on behalf of our own. Rarely do we speak up and speak out on behalf of those we perceive not to be our own. This certainly is the case, and this is really what's roiling our country right now over racial issues, okay? And so the challenge is to speak up, I think, because we're afraid to get involved, we're afraid the mob will turn on us, or we may have an experience where we speak up and then somebody from our tribe speaks against us. How dare you speak up on behalf of another person who's not one of us. And so this is the us and them phenomenon. And so this, I want to kind of explore this. This is what I hope to explore uh, in the conversation on Sunday night, where um, Alan and Sue find um, people of conscience who may not um, carry Abraham's blood in them, as, as they do, but where they are finding allies to speak up on behalf. And so this language of allyship is one that I've recently encountered in uh, some presbytery training. I think I've spoken about that, um, uh, received some, some time of training a couple weeks ago during Holy Week. Next week, have another uh, couple sessions, and then in May, uh, the final uh, two sessions. And this call to be an ally, to be an advocate, to use whatever voice or privilege or platform I may have 
on behalf of those who are um, oppressed in, in some way. And so I, I like the challenge. I, I welcome the challenge. I acknowledge it's a challenge. We are called to speak up on behalf of others, but is it, sometimes it's on issues of race, sometimes it may be issues of gender, sometimes it may be issues of class and economic disparity. Um, and so this is where we get confronted. What is our primary identity? How do we think of ourselves as the followers of Jesus? Are we Christians first? And then secondarily, Americans or Republicans or Democrats or independents or um, straight versus gay, you know, different, different little tribes and groups that we might participate in. And so the degree to which I, I find my identity, my core identity in some tribal expression other than Christ, okay, I will, I'll find myself, I think, reluctant to speak up on behalf of others. If I identify primarily as a straight white male, I might find myself reluctant to speak up on, a black, on behalf of a black gay female, let's say, okay? Crossing three different boundaries there or, or um, kind of socio-cultural um, uh, boundaries. And so this is a challenge. I, I, I acknowledge this. I don't think this is easy. Um, we're afraid sometimes to risk identifying with someone outside my community because I'm afraid of what people inside my community might think. And, and I've had this experience um, as I've reached, tried to reach across the aisle, as I say, the theological aisle at our presbytery, uh, made a concert, have made a concerted effort for a number of years to engage with my theologically progressive colleagues at at the presbytery, whom I did not know, who I'd been sitting with for years, uh, but never really getting to know. So began to take them to lunch, get to know them, uh, it, it, participate in some seminars and other fellowship events that they were sponsoring. And um, I, I found a lot of respect, a, a lot of warmth, um, and a lot of mutual understanding and some areas of difference, as, as you could imagine. Um, and have tried to speak up uh, in, in settings where I could, but that's still pretty safe. I'm still working within the Presbyterian fold. And so um, as followers of Jesus, if that is our core identity, and I would argue that it should be our core identity, then the words of Jesus take precedence over the words of others, others who might think I'm being disloyal to my group by affiliating or speaking up or advocating on behalf of, of others. But Jesus was quite clear, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? Uh, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to, to clarify the neighbor is anyone you come across who has a need you can meet. And so if somebody cannot speak up for themselves and I come across them, then I can speak up for them. Okay, so there's that. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule, I think, bears that. So if we found ourselves in a place of a minority status or somehow our voice was removed or diminished, I would want somebody to speak up on my behalf, okay, to, to protect and defend me. So do to others as you would have them do to you. And then finally, Jesus said, well, love your enemies. So if you view that person as an enemy, 
and yet you find them being attacked in some way by maybe even friends of yours, we ought to speak up. We ought to defend, okay? If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Uh, the Proverbs as well as picked up by Paul in the book of Romans. So the guidance and, and, and direction and instruction of Scripture is clear that we are to, in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The challenge is when we perceive, I, I'm asking you to try this on. This is how I think it works. We feel reluctant to speak out or speak up on behalf of somebody whose life or lifestyle or actions or activities we perceive to be counter to the word and will of God. And so, for instance, an easy one is we would be reluctant to speak up or to speak out on behalf of uh, an LGBTQ plus person in some way because we might, okay, not maybe not all who are listening to this, but I find that behavior not in accord with God's created ordinances of one man, one woman in sexual expression in the covenant of marriage, okay? So um, if that's news to you, that's where I stand, okay? Um, forgive me for not clarifying that um, to you, but, but this is where I stand. It's, I think it's well known at Greenwich. But in the same breath, I believe it's important to speak up on behalf of those. And so to understand that an LGBTQ person is human, bears the image of God, uh, is no more sexually broken than I am sexually broken. They're just differently broken, okay? So my sexual sin would be heterosexual sexual sin, um, whereas there might be homosexual sin, right? But all of us uh, are broken in some way. All of us are flawed in, in some way in that, in that regard. And so the challenge is, finding ourselves reluctant to risk our reputation, risk our voice, risk our standing in some community by speaking up or advocating or interceding on behalf of another. Put differently, we would struggle to lay down our life for someone whose lifestyle or actions we don't agree with or who may not appreciate the sacrifice that we might be making on their behalf. Let me say that again. We would be reluctant. I find that I, I believe people are reluctant to lay down their life, that is risk their reputation, some injury to themselves, either physically or, or otherwise. We're reluctant to lay down our lives on behalf of someone whose lifestyle is antithetical to what we believe it ought to be, who may not appreciate the sacrifice we're making. I'm, I'm choosing those words somewhat intentionally. Don't we have a story somewhere in the Bible of somebody who lays down their life on behalf of people who are rebellious against the word of God and the will of God? Haven't I read somewhere in the Bible about someone who laid down his life on behalf of those who rejected God and, and didn't do things the way God wanted them to do? And didn't he lay down his life? Yeah, he laid down his life on behalf of people who, 
who didn't fully appreciate the sacrifice that he was making. Is the point made? If you would be my followers, you must deny yourself, pick up your crosses, and follow me. Die to yourself, Jesus says. And so I believe this call to discipleship, this call to apprenticeship, this call to self-sacrifice, to self-denial, to picking up the cross and following is not merely one of abstaining from food and drink, uh, from swearing and watching certain kinds of television shows and certain kinds of music. We, we often frame the cross to bear in that manner. We, 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 we picture it kind of in a Lenten way of abstaining from certain activities. Do we ever consider that the call to pick up the cross is a call to lay down our lives on behalf of those who may not appreciate the sacrifice we are making on their behalf and laying down our lives on behalf of those whose lives we disagree with some of their actions, okay? Because certainly Jesus did that. Certainly Jesus went to the cross on behalf of those who were rebels against the kingdom of God. That's us. And he, he laid down his life on the cross for a people who do not fully grasp. We still do not fully grasp the sacrifice that he made there for us. So, all of that is to say this call biblically from Proverbs 31, this call uh, in scripture, the love call to love your neighbor, love your enemy, uh, do to others as you would have them do. To, to, as Martin Niemöller speaking up on behalf of others, even though I'm not that person, I'm not that tribe, I'm not that group to speak up on their behalf. I believe we are moving into such a time in our society where uh, the call out cancel culture, people who, um, it's a very tricky, tricky situation. So I'm called by my presbytery training uh, that I've received. I'm called uh, in, in the understanding of our presbytery friends to use my white privilege, my status as a white male and white privilege to speak up and advocate on behalf of people of color who find themselves marginalized or some other way oppressed by what is understood to be uh, systemic racism in our society. And I sat there and listened to that training and I wrestled with that. Um, absolutely, I'm gonna speak up on behalf of black and brown and, and darker colored skin and uh, the concern about Asian hate, I will speak up on behalf of Asian, uh, the Asian community because all are image bearers of God and yet all have sinned and fall short. So there's this, this, it's not a complete rejection of that. Absolutely, I will advocate. But the question is, how do I advocate? And so that, that's the challenge I'm currently working through. So I'm curious in this conversation on Sunday night, I'm just not that familiar with, I understand what anti-Semitism is, but I just don't move in those circles. I don't live in a community with a, with a, a prevalence of, 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 of Abraham's descendants, of, of, of Jews living here. Other parts of the D.C. area are often, you know, you might live in an area where there's a strong Jewish population. 
to my knowledge, this is not that. You know, where I live in Haymarket is 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 certainly not that. And so I'm I'm a little removed from it. Okay, in a way that that others may not be. So I'm I'm curious for the conversation on um, on Sunday evening. So and I think I'll, I think I'll wrap up there. But I wanted to kind of hold that challenge out that we do have a call as Christians. I'm, I'm going to leave aside the white skin and the male and all that other stuff. Just as followers of Jesus, we have a clear call from Scripture to stand with those, the quartet of the vulnerable, those who cannot speak for themselves. And so uh, I I look forward to engaging uh, additional conversation. Perhaps as we get into the Basement Academy next week, we can leverage or or kind of springboard off of the webinar and, and dive a little deeper into this and I can tease out some of the uh, lessons that uh, came to me, some of the principles that were shared with me in our presbytery training a couple weeks ago. So anyway, again, let me invite you to come if you can on Sunday evening. I think it'll be worth your time uh, and I think it will be a valuable conversation for us all. Let's pray. Father, be pleased to have the Spirit of Jesus live in us in such a way that we follow and obey and pick up our cross and love our neighbor and love our enemy and lay down our life and advocate for those who cannot speak for themselves. We acknowledge uh, our reluctance. We, we acknowledge our hesitance to do so. We, we acknowledge at times we, we, we we're afraid to risk Uh, reputational harm or other harm uh, by supporting or standing with those outside of our own particular community. And so, Father, stretch us, grow us, deepen us, uh, use the conversation on Sunday evening to a good purpose and a good end. Father, we continue to pray comfort for those who mourn, especially the Yates family, and we pray your kindness and healing grace uh, for us all. Lord, restore us uh, through the power of Christ crucified, Christ risen. For we offer our prayer in his name, even as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who advocated, who spoke up, who laid down his life for us. May that life of Jesus crucified, that life taken up again in the resurrection, fill you with all life hope, joy, and peace this day and forevermore. Amen.